What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Let's grab our Bibles. We're in Isaiah chapter 57 today. Isaiah chapter 57 is the text. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21 with particular reference to verse 17 this morning. So when you find that, let's go ahead and stand up together for the reading of God's word as we acknowledge that God's word is holy. It is infallible. It is inerrant. Your word, O Lord, is inspired. And therefore, when we listen to the Holy Scriptures, we're hearing the very word of the ever-living and true God. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14 through 21. Listen now to the text. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever. Nor will I always be angry, for the Spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Verse 17, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on, backsliding in the way of his own heart. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore Comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruits of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you are on fire in your faith right now. You love the Lord and you're growing in your faith. And every time you open God's word, it is speaking to you afresh. The spirit of God is, is moving in mighty ways amongst you right now. You are evangelizing, you're sharing the gospel, you're experiencing the fruit and the harvest of Christian joy. You feel like you're on fire right now. You look at your life and you realize that this is a period of real and sustained growth for you. You are in a very good place. You want everybody to know what the Lord has done in your life. Every single time you open up that Bible, God is, God is moving your heart. He's enlivening your faith. Every single time you open up that hymnal, the words are jumping off the page. You couldn't wait to be here this morning. 
You couldn't wait to get here to the house of the Lord. You knew we were taking the Lord's Supper this morning, and you are excited about it. You are on fire for your faith. And if that's you right now, then praise be to God. I wish that all of us here would experience those seasons of growth as long as they last. And there's others of you that, to be completely honest, you are, you are faithful, but you are plodding along. And you would not describe yourself as being particularly on fire right now, but you're faithful. And you're here, and you're hoping, and you're pleading, and you're prodding, and you're making some sort of, of forward progress. But right now, if we're really honest, the burdens of life are heavy on you. And that's okay. And all of us are going to go through times like that where we are just barely making it. We love the Lord. We're thankful for the Lord, but the burdens of life, the worries, the concerns, we came in here with heavy hearts this morning. And some of us, if we're completely honest, we're asleep. Uh, dead of heart. Some that are not Christian, some that are, that are not alive in any real way in their faith this morning. You've come for some other reason. I don't know what it is. But you're spiritually asleep. Uh, you are unconcerned with the things of the Lord. You did not come this morning expecting or anticipating to hear a word from the Lord this morning. The one thing that you really want to get out of this service, if we're completely honest, is to just get out of here quickly. And so for your sake, the quicker the sermon is over and the less time the Lord's table takes for you, the better. You have no spiritual concern whatsoever. I'm thankful for that you're here. But I do hope that you find something beyond that. And, and then there's another group that are probably represented here this morning. And that would be those who have once been described as on fire for the Lord. And yet now something has happened. It's not the same. There's a, there's a cog in the gears. There's a, there's a glitch in the matrix. There's something that has caused you to depart from the faith that you once had. Uh, you, are, you are now experiencing drudgery in worship. This, this book, this holy book, has become nothing more than a, than a dull phone book to you. You haven't shared your faith in a long time. Your prayer is empty. Admit it. You're moving backwards, or so it feels. You are, in Isaiah's language here, in 57, 17, backsliding. So we want to address that this morning. Now we've been working through this book of Isaiah now for 57 chapters. We are deep into the prophecy of Isaiah at this point. Um, we have about seven weeks to go in this book. We're not going to cover every single chapter. We're not going to do all 66 chapters. We've done most of them. We're going to have about 50 sermons in the book of Isaiah by the time we're finished with this. Obviously, I'm not a true Puritan, because if I was a true Puritan preacher, we would have done 30 years in the book of Isaiah, like the one guy, true story, who preached through the book of Leviticus on Sunday nights for 30 years. Can you imagine that? Another mildew sermon, my goodness. But we're not going to do that. A year in Isaiah, I think, is sufficient. And we've seen Isaiah now move through several different trajectories in this book. He started off in chapters 1 through 39 preaching to his own particular situation, his own day and time. And then later on, especially in chapters 40 to 56, he began, he began to preach forward to the time of the exiles, an event that happens after his own life. So he starts preaching to the here and now. Then he moves his address up and he begins to focus on those who are going to be suffering in the exile 
But now there's another shift in vision or scope here in chapters 57 through the rest of the book. Isaiah is now, for the most part, preaching into concerns that are universally applicable. And he's going to be looking forward even to the eschaton, to the last days. And Isaiah is now preaching messages that I think apply to all historical situations. Now, obviously, everything else does too. But there's, a, but there's a unique vantage point now in these last few chapters. And I will say this to you as, as we begin to move into the last stages of this book. If Isaiah hasn't landed a punch on your chin yet, then it, I don't know what else we can do. Because Isaiah has again and again and again and again redressed the spiritual problems of his people. And he's again and again hearkened them to come back to the Lord. Some have listened, some haven't. And so now in this chapter, he brings up a topic that I want to speak to this morning, and that is the topic of backsliding in the faith. That's right there in verse 17. You see it? Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face. I was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. Now, I mentioned a couple of categories of people at the opening of the message. Those who are on fire, those who are just plodding along faithfully, though under great duress, those who are not believers at all and are asleep to the things of the Lord. But it's this morning, this category of backsliding Christians that I want to address in the sermon. So if that's you, then this is for you. So let's start off with a bit of a definition here. With our Bibles open, we're looking at verse 17 where we see the word, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry, I struck him, I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. Now the Hebrew word here, backsliding, is shovav. It's only used four times in the Old Testament. Uh, the ESV only has the word backsliding four times in our particular translation. Now if you grew up reading the New King James or the King James Version, uh, then the word backsliding is, is present with much more frequency. It's there maybe 15 or so times. And so the term backsliding has come into our Christian vocabulary to describe somebody whose faith is not particularly flourishing, is it? And the English word, I think, is an interesting word, the word backsliding, because, it, because it's a word picture. It tells us exactly what's happening. It's picturing somebody who is traversing a difficult terrain and they have lost their grip. They have lost their traction. And what is happening to that person, spiritually speaking, as they've begun to slide backwards. They reach out for the root, there's nothing there. They look for a toehold, there's nothing to stand on. And so they find themselves perilously sliding backwards into spiritual danger. Now here I want to draw a distinction if I can. Because I actually think that there are two different types of backsliders, so pay attention carefully here. And then there's a third type of backslider that I don't even think exists. Okay, so there's two that are, and there's one that isn't. So listen to this. Here are the two kinds of backsliders that exist. First, we'll call this one A, there are those who are saved but sliding. Okay, Real Christians we're talking about here. Real Christians. Saved but sliding backsliders, they are sincere Christians, they love Jesus, they've been born again, he or she does in fact have the Spirit of God. Okay? We're not talking about a, a fake conversion or anything like that, we're talking about real, sincere Christians. And yet, 
What has happened to them is that they have entered into a period of what we might call sustained inertia or stagnation in growth or plateaued faith. And there's a reason that this has happened. The reason that this has happened is because of outright disobedience. It's right there in verse 17. Do you see it? Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. So this kind of backsliding, we're not talking about that, that dark night of the soul that some of the great spiritual writers in the past have described. Sometimes, yes, things in the spiritual world, it seems very dark. But, but you're confessing everything you possibly can. You're, you're confessing your sin, you're repenting of your sin, your known sin, your unknown sin, you're laying your heart before the Lord and say, sometimes it just feels dark. And there's no apparent reason for that other than that the Lord has ordained it to be. But this kind of backsliding is not the dark night of the soul. This is a backsliding that has been caused by sin and disobedience. And so you've lost your grip and you are sliding back. And there are innumerable, innumerable examples of saved but sliding people in your Old and in your New Testaments. We might think about Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus three times, a true Christian, and yet that's a moment of backsliding for Peter. Thankfully it was short. There's David in his adultery with Bathsheba. There's Elijah in his doubt, even though the Lord gave him a great victory over the Baal prophets. Noah got drunk and stupid when he got off the ark. If you don't believe me, read the story. It's there in your Bible. There are many examples of true and sincere believers who nevertheless, because of sin, they enter into a period of backsliding. And it's that disobedience which is the hallmark of this moment. Okay, so that's one. That's real. Here's another one that's real. This is a real backslider. Now, sometimes we speak of backsliding with a person who is professing faith and yet not possessing faith. This person is not a real believer, they're a hypocrite. They're pretending to be so. They put on airs as though they were Christians. With their mouth, they say all the right words. They say the Apostles' Creed just as you and I say the Apostles' Creed, and nobody is the wiser. But what they're doing, though, is they're putting on a mask. That's what the word hypocrite actually means. And they haven't experienced true saving grace at all. They might even think that they have, but they haven't. And so there's no regenerating work, no saving work of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens to this person is eventually he will begin to slide away. And when he slides, he will have nothing to hold on to. There will be no grip. There will be no root. There will be no rock. And he will slide all the way down into his own damnation. He has not been saved, though he looks as though he had. And our great example here in our Bibles is Judas, who under every pretense appeared to be like the other disciples. They didn't even know. They were arguing about it at the table. Who is it? Not sure. And yet his faith was not sincere. Now that person backslides unto their eternal death. Now I mentioned one that isn't a logical possibility. And that is the true Christian who loses their salvation. That doesn't happen. Okay. So when I'm talking about backsliding this morning, I want you to understand 
The one configuration that does not logically comport with the biblical data on how salvation works is that somebody might be truly saved and then lose their salvation. That's not a backslider. Doesn't exist. A person who is saved will be saved unto the end. Okay? Now you may hear this kind of preaching in other churches. You may hear this in charismatic or Pentecostal churches or non-denominational churches. In fact, that's part of what they do is they often accuse people of being backsliding and having lost their salvation. They tell them they need to be saved again. We don't believe that's how it works. When you're truly saved, you are actually saved. Though you may go through periods of backsliding and disobedience. Does that make sense? All right, so let me give you an example of this. I want you to picture this in your mind. There's three people rock climbing. This is going to represent those three types of persons I just described. They've all got the gear. They've all got their goggles. They're all fitted out with whatever you wear when you go mountain climbing. They've got the boots. They've got the pick. They've got the ropes. They've got the clips. And all three of our climbers, they are traversing this mountain, and yet they enter into a period in which they fall back. They slide. Now, the true believer, she's clipped to the rock. She's got her rope. She is clipped to Mount Grace. And no matter what happens in her life, though she may slide down now, yet she will eventually recover. Why? Because she's roped to the saving work of the cross. And so she may very well slide down. She may very well be endangered. She may very well lose from the rest of the pack. But ultimately, she's not going to be lost. And the reason doesn't have anything to do with her own strength to stay on the mountain. The reason has to do with how salvation works. She is clipped and roped to Mount Grace. She cannot ultimately fall, though she may slide, right? Now, there's another person climbing the same mountain. This person looks exactly the same. They've got the same gear on the outside. They've got the same hat, the same boots, and the same goggles, and the same pick, or whatever else they use. And yet this person, because of their arrogance and their pride, they never even thought that they would need the rope. They've got all the clips on their belt, and yet they never clipped into the mountain. They trusted their own strength. They said, I don't need these ropes. These ropes are religion. I'm stronger than that. And when that person falls... Woe to the person who is not clipped into Mount Calvary. But the one thing that does not happen is that somebody who is truly roped on to Mount Grace, the rope does not break. You do not fall so hard such as to snap the rope and lose the salvation that you once had. That is impossible. Okay? So we're all clear then on the two kinds of backsliding that do exist and the one kind of backsliding that does not exist. Now I will simply add this, that if you are a Christian, you will probably experience this at some point in your life, if not now. And the reason that we all experience these moments is because salvation, um, sanctification rather, excuse me, is, is something of impeded progress in our lives. It's like when you, when you look at the New York Stock Exchange in a, in, a, in a good market, right? A good market. The line's going up. But it's never straight up. It's a jagged up. There are ups and there are downs. There are peaks and there are valleys. There's highs and lows. And yet if you back up and you look at the whole thing from a long view, the long view perspective, there should be growth in the life of the believer. We call that sanctification, right? Okay. So if you look back on 10 years of your life and there is no progress, that's a concerning sign. But in the short view, yes, we have bursts 
and we have retreats. We have ups and we have downs. Some of those downs are caused by our own sin. So let's talk about some of the causes then that we may backslide. Let me give you a few of them. Look again at the text, 57 verse 17. He went on backsliding. Here's why. Ready? In the way of his own heart. There it is. Why do you backslide? Because you pursue your own heart. That is the most dangerous thing that you can ever do spiritually is to follow your heart. You know what the last verse of the book of Judges is? Each person did what was right in their own eyes. Translation, they followed their hearts. I've seen people follow their own hearts to their own ruination. I've seen people follow their hearts into divorce. I've seen people follow their hearts into adultery. I've seen people follow their hearts into all sorts of woe. And that's what happens when you follow your heart. Christian, don't follow your heart. You follow the heart of Christ. That's what we do. And so this idea of don't follow your heart, it's there in the prophets, specifically in Jeremiah's prophecy. Jeremiah addresses this a number of times. Listen to this. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. My goodness, don't follow your heart, Christian. Follow Christ. And yet, nevertheless, what will happen to us very often is that we will lose our grip and begin to slide. One of the reasons this happens is because of worldly influence in our lives. And what else would you expect? Uh, suppose that there's a believer who is drinking deeply from worldly and secular ideologies. Expect that person to grow? They're constantly watching cable news. They're constantly reading trashy novels. They're constantly listening to crude stand-up comics. They're constantly watching horror movies. They're constantly believing the lies of the media. They're drinking deeply in the secular schools and the universities. What do you think is going to happen to them? You see, the mind, it's like a filter, right? I mean, picture the, the air filter on your car or the filter on your, your HVAC or picture the little, the little filter in the drain of your dishwasher. You clean that thing out lately? It's gross. How's all the hair and the vegetable matter get down in that thing? Well, it's because that's what runs through it. And the mind is somewhat like that. The mind is like a filter. And if you're constantly taking in all of these malevolent, spiritually dead influences in your life, what do you think is going to happen to you? Of course you're going to fall into backsliding. That's the inevitable. And so what you have to do with the mind that's like a filter is that you got to change it. you got, you got to rinse it out. you got to take it out and you got to clean it. you got to stop pouring the junk in. The person who is constantly letting worldly ideas, worldly ideologies, secular worldview, nonsense filter through the brain, of course they're going to backslide. Of course. I'll give you another reason besides worldliness. Distance from the church. You know, the reason that we're here this morning, aside from the fact that we're commanded to be in the presence of our Lord, worshiping Him on the Lord's Day, the reason that we're here this morning, check this out, it's because we need each other. We do. We need each other. People that experience sustained backslide, and you ask a couple of superficial questions, one of the things you, you realize is that it's probably because they're not in fellowship. 
And, and it's kind of like a campfire, right? I mean, if you, you have a campfire, you build a campfire in your backyard and you've got a bunch of logs in there and you light this thing and it's blazing on fire, you take one log out, campfire doesn't go out, the log does, right? It's because we actually need each other. We're inspired by each other. We're driven along by each other. We're motivated by each other. But you take that log out of the fire, it will go out. It'll go cold quicker than the fire does. Put it back in though, right back on fire. You can't stay away from other believers for too long. It's not good. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here this morning. Third, removal from the means of grace. Now we in the Reformed Church, um, we, we don't need to constantly look for these spiritual high ecstatic experiences. Okay? We believe that sustained and real growth comes through constantly placing ourselves before the ordinary means of grace. We pray. We read God's word. We listen to the teaching. We study with and beside one another, we have family worship. If we don't live with a family, we have personal devotional times together. And guess what? What we're about to do this morning, the Lord's Supper, is a backsliding killer. Because when we come to the Lord's table, we, we don't just remember the past. Right? We're not just looking back to the cross as a historical event. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, we actually meet our Lord there in a spiritual but real way. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, this is actually the means of the nourishment and sustaining and the upbuilding of our faith. So when we come to the Lord's table, this is good. This is very good. We need this. This nullifies backsliding because it drives us to self-examination, right? That's what we do when we come to the Lord's Supper. We examine our hearts. We confess our sins. We draw faith from Christ himself. But when we remove ourselves from the means of grace, then what else could we possibly expect but a period of backsliding? Now let's hasten on and remark on a few other things about 57.17. I want you to notice, though, what will happen to the sustained backslider who does not correct his ways. Look at this. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face. Let's remark on those three things. He was angry, it says. Now wait. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. How can God be angry? Does God get angry at Christians? Yes, he does. And the reason that he can get angry with Christians is because he loves them, not despite it, but because of it. Right? Ten kids are sitting in a detention hall in the principal's office. But I'm only mad at one. Which one? My son. This didn't really happen, by the way. Don't tell him I said that. Okay, this didn't, he's never, had, never been in trouble. But theoretically, of those 10 kids, the one I'm mad at as a father is the one I love, my son. And God sometimes gets angry at our sins because he loves us so much and he doesn't want to see us suffer in our sins and wallow in such lowly places. And so that's why, why Hebrews says, let me flip really quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Go back to Isaiah 57, 17, and tell me that's not what's there. He was angry, and so he struck him. That's chastisement. Sometimes the Lord disciplines us, but woe to us if it goes to that next phase right there. I was angry, A. I struck him, B. C. I hid my face. You don't want that. This is why the psalm writers, David in particular, throughout the psalms, are constantly pleading with God not to hide his face from them. Listen to just a couple. There's many, but listen to just a couple. Psalm 27, 9, David writing, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. The last thing David wants is that the Lord would hide his face from him. Here's another one, Psalm 102. This is interesting because uh, the subtitle says, Of one afflicted when he is faint. That's the writer. We don't know who else it was. Other than he was one afflicted when he was faint. But he says this, Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. That's Psalm 102.2. Here's one more from David, 143.7. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. You do not want the Lord to hide his face from you. And by the way, pray for your preachers. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your elders. Pray for your deacons. Because woe to the church who is led by backsliding leadership. It's not good. So pray for us. I have to, I have to, I'm a little intense today. I think you, you can see that. I have to pray for myself for my own sermons. Lest I fall prey to the same things that I preach against. But if this describes you at all this morning, I have some good news for you before we go to the table. Some very good news. Are you ready? Let's go on to the, the next verse, verse 18. This is good news. Here comes the gospel. Are you ready? I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruits of of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will hear him. So notice that in verse 18, though God has seen his ways, he's seen the ways of the backslider. He knows what has caused him to lose his grip on the mountain and to begin to fall backwards. Yet the Lord gives us a promise here in verse 18. He says, I've seen his ways. I still love you. In fact, I'm going to heal him. I'm going to lead him. I'm going to restore comfort to him and his mourners. And so let's go back to our mountain climbing analogy, right? Remember the three mountain climbers? Two that exist, one that doesn't. So there you are, dangling precipitously from your rope. And your guide warns you, don't go through that crevasse. But you did it anyways. And so now you're alone. And you dropped your pick. You can't grab onto the wall, and all the other climbers are ahead of you now. You're hopeless, right? No. Because look up. There's one who's coming back down to you. It is Christ. 
He will not leave you or forsake you. In fact, he will come to rescue and to restore you. That's what he says, Matthew 18, 12, right? What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? Yes, he does. Praise be to God. He comes back for the backslider. He will not leave him or her dangling there helplessly. But instead, what the Lord will do to those who are his children is he will heal them, lead them, restore them, and comfort them. Now, before we come to the Lord's table, and we will in just a moment, I want to take you to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Let's go there. Can we go there? Go to Revelation, chapter 2, with me. These are the seven letters to the seven churches, and one of them is to the church in Ephesus. Look at Revelation 2. Let's pick it up in verse 2. This is Christ speaking to the church. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles that are not and found them to be false. In other words, your doctrine's solid. That's good. You can recognize the difference between true and false preaching. Excellent. Well done. Very good. Verse 3, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Also, very good. That's a commendation. But verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Don't let that be you. Don't let your love for Christ diminish. Think back, will you? Think back to when he first saved you and the joy you had for him, for the love that you had for him. Think back to the zeal that you had for his glory. Don't let your love diminish for the Lord even one iota. But mark this, even if you find, even if you should find that verse 4 is true of you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first, know this, know this one thing that he will not abandon his love for you. His grace is sure, and you are firmly held to Mount Calvary. Praise be to God. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.